0: Anyway, so I would encourage you to go back and read Isaiah 1 today, or sometime during this week. But we're going to read this powerful passage. You know, on one level, Colossians, oh yeah, Colossians, Colossians, okay, Galatians and Colossians at the same time. If I just would read this text to you, and we just think about it, that would be enough, right? Because Paul is actually giving some pretty practical exhortation. So I'm actually doing a sermon on a sermon. And the Apostle Paul says it better than anything I could ever say. I, I, uh, one of my oldest friends in ministry I got together and had coffee with, and we were just joking that uh, usually what's funny is that Jesus will, will say something Jesus says, and then we'll explain it away. You know, usually what he says he means, and I think that's what's here as well. Paul, What Paul says here are really beautiful words, and I'm going to read the passage a couple times during the sermon, just because I think, in many ways, these are things to pray through, to to meditate on, to to live, to breathe, uh, and then and to let them live. And and I think this is a powerful text about the implications of what it means that we're baptized into Christ. That's really, again, I, as I said throughout this, baptism is implied in 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 so much of what this is being going on in Colossians. As a matter of fact, every time you see in Christ. The implication is what it means that you've been baptized into Christ. So this passage really is not only about what we're supposed to do, but it's as much about what we're supposed to be as the followers of Christ. So listen to the word of God that comes to us from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called to the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your heart. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the great things I've learned throughout my ministry is often my great ideas that I'm so inspired with maybe if I'm thinking about the summer in May and I have this wonderful idea this will be great if we do this <laughs> often when we end up doing it it's not as great as I thought it was All right. so for instance I was inspired this summer going into summer to read the great poet Gerald Manley Hopkins uh, one of the great English poets of all time and you know people also say he's one of the hardest ones to understand. So I thought this would be something interesting and different for me. And because I'm doing it, I thought I'd bring you all along for the ride. Okay. So the the book club that we did was a book that was based on Hopkins. All right. So we met this past week. It didn't go great. Okay. So not everyone appreciated Jared Hopkins. As a matter of fact, almost everyone didn't appreciate him. Okay. <laughs> and I that's fine. You know, poetry is hard. As a matter of fact, I remember I'm actually writing this essay. Miss Oliver was right. She was my honors teacher in 12th grade. And uh, I love I loved literature. I loved to read. And uh, I got in the honors English class. And we were only supposed to do poetry for six weeks. We did poetry for a semester and a half. And I was so frustrated. And I was so bored. And probably my attitude <laughs> as a... Confident 17 year old came through to my teacher. So she and I did not have a good time together. Um, And I just couldn't see the value of it. You know, uh, what's all these words, everything. And Hopkins was one of the people we studied. And I think she probably knew a lot about him, but I don't remember a thing she taught me because usually while she was teaching, I was doing something else. Okay, so somewhere, she's no longer with us, but okay, Mrs. Oliver, you were right. I was wrong, because sometimes the most powerful things are right in front of us, but we we can't see them, right? We, we, We miss them, and some things about poets and artists are folks who see things that are around us, and they help us remember and see that. I mean, that's why even if they don't believe in God, they're kissed by God, I think, because and I think the same thing is with music. I mean, we, whatever you experience, a sense of transcendence, all right? It can, for me, it can be a, an amazing symphony or an incredible electric guitar solo or a wonderful banjo riff. I mean, I like all kinds of music, all right? And when I hear great music, it takes me somewhere. Well, the same thing is with, with poetry or with art. And Hopkins was a Jesuit priest. Uh, none of his works were published during his life. And hardly anyone could understand him in the 19th century once it was published. But some of the greatest poets of our of, of the 20th century, T.S. Eliot, Auden, as well as uh, Thomas Merton, maybe the greatest spiritual writer of the 20th century, all were deeply influenced by Hopkins. And one of his most famous poems is called The Grandeur of God. And it starts out like this. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Now, the image here is that the beauty and awe of God being in the world is like a reflection off a shining surface. Okay? Foil can mean a couple different things, but um, you can think of the foil we know nowadays, right? And if the light catches that, have you ever, you know, when the light catches that, It's it's very bright, okay? It can be blinding. And then the image of God's grandeur being crushed is from the idea of crushing olive oil. I don't know if you've ever seen olive oil made, but it's pretty remarkable, okay? You know, the olive press crushes the fruit, and then the oil just flows out in a beautiful way. And Hopkins is saying God's love and God's grandeur and God's presence is like both those things. God's grandeur is a reflection that shines throughout the world. God's grandeur is like an oil that is spread out when it's crushed. And there's something about the divine Logos, the second person of the Trinity, Christ, that's reflected in us as his children. And we are transformed by the grace of God that comes to us in the crushed and crucified Christ. These are both images that work with With Hopkins here. And so today's text is really a reflection on what does it mean that we're clothed in the grandeur of God in Christ? What does it mean that the living God has taken us as his own, but even more than that? Because we're baptized into Christ, we are in communion with that God. And just like I was telling the kids, just like you put on a costume when you're pretending to be something. When we're baptized, we actually are clothed with Christ. We're not pretending, but we actually are covered with Christ. And so today, Paul is really reflecting on who you are. What are you supposed to do with that? But even more importantly, how are you to be as someone who's been clothed with Christ? You're chosen, holy, and beloved. Those are the three words he describes us. You are chosen. You know, being chosen is the particularity of God's propensity and purpose that from the beginning he tends and to reveal himself through relationship, right? I mean, that's kind of the crazy thing about it, right? I mean, even if you look at the Genesis story, it's really strange that God walks in the garden, right? I mean, how does a spirit walk? Okay. And that he goes looking for them when they're hiding, right? But the whole power of that passage is God is in relationship with humanity. So the story, what's the holy story? God makes a friendship with Abraham. God calls Moses. He chooses a people. And then he sends a beloved son, his chosen beloved son. And that through his beloved son, he chooses a new people. And we're chosen for purpose and we're chosen to be loved. So that's part of our identity, the sense of being chosen. Holy. Now, holy means to be set apart. It's not a sense of being better. It's not about morality. That's not what holiness is in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures in the New Testament. It's about you've been set apart. Okay. If something is holy in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's something that has been set apart. And there are really no holy places in the... Old Testament. Now, the temple becomes a holy place, but it's only a holy place. Why? Why does the temple become a holy place? Or why is Mount Sinai a holy place? Or why is the mount where Moses is called a holy place? What makes it holy? Only one thing. God's there, right? And when the burning bush stops burning, when the Shekinah leaves the temple, <laughs> the place where God once was that was holy is no longer holy. And so, what Paul is saying here: not only are you chosen, but you're you're holy, you're set apart. God is with you, and then this amazing thing, this idea that you're beloved. When you think of the word beloved in the New Testament, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten, his beloved Son. So we are beloved, not unlike Christ. The uniqueness of Christ being beloved is that he is able to share the unique standing with us. Because Christ is the beloved of God, that makes us the beloved of God as well. When we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into this beloved relationship. The great author Toni Morrison died this week, and uh, how many of you read her book, Beloved? Or saw the movie? It's It's a haunting book. It's a haunting book. And... Beloved in the book portrays what evil and hate and oppression can do to people. What the hate of this world can do to our beloved in this world, right? You know, we can't protect the people we love in this world. Our best intentions with those we love doesn't always work out, right? But Christ being the beloved means that... Christ is not so much sacrificed to take our place. I know that's historically how a lot of Christians talk about it, but I think they missed the more deeper mystery of it, okay? Christ not so much takes our place on the cross, but rather he stands with us in this place of death. I think the cross is as much as God's solidarity with humanity in our alienation, in our sin, in our suffering as it is any kind of substitute. Again, the word substitutions in there, but there's a much more profound approach to it in the Scriptures. See, and this is one of the things I think we often get wrong, because we still have this kind of pagan idea that creeps in with our faith, that faith in God is somehow a way we can negotiate the world, right? Okay. In other words, if I have faith in God, I pray, then I get protected. Okay. That's sometimes what people miss about Job, Job is a pagan. He's a devout pagan, but he's still a pagan. Right? At the beginning of Job, he makes sacrifices in order to protect his family. Okay, what's that about? That's making a bargain, right? When you make sacrifices as a way to appease the deity, you're bargaining. Okay, I'll do this for you, God. You protect my family. It's an old movie, but Burt Reynolds movie, The End, it's actually a pretty thoughtful Burt Reynolds movie. I know that's a strange phrase to put together, a thoughtful Burt Reynolds movie. But in it, this guy is kind of a playboy. He's got a great life. He's rich. He gets diagnosed with a terminal disease. And so at the end, he decides he's going to kill himself, and he starts swimming out to the ocean. That's how he's going to kill himself. Well, he swims as far as he can, and then he changes his mind. So he starts swimming back. He's making deals with God. And he goes, God, if you if you save me, I will follow the Ten Commandments. And he starts naming the Ten Commandments, but he can't remember them. And so then he goes, God, if you save me, I'll learn the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then he goes, God, if you save me, I'll give you everything I own." Well, as he starts getting closer, he goes, OK, God, if you save me, I'll give you half of what I own." Okay, and then when when he gets to the, when he finally gets over sure, okay God I'll give you ten percent. That's better than nothing, right? You know, <laughs> we always the, that bartering with God we do all the time. Even people, he, it's, it's just a natural part of being human, right? I was talking to someone the other day who said they lost faith, and this is not the first person I've talked to about this. Watching how their their mother died, who she said was one of the best people she, person she ever knew, it it made her really you know, question her faith. Jesus does not stop bad things from happening. He did not stop the killers from killing. He did not stop the victims from dying. That's actually in our realm to do. But the cross means he was with them. He is with us. No one dies alone. Christ is with us in our suffering. That's what the cross is. And that's the implications of us being chosen, being beloved, being holy. I just um, watched a movie. I want to get the book. It's called A Man Called Ove. It's on Netflix right now. It's a Swedish movie. It's one of the most heartwarming movies I've ever seen. Have you seen (laughs) it? I read the book. Anyway, it started, there's this kind of crusty old guy He's a you know, retired engineer, and he's the one who kind of polices the housing, you know, the, the uh, community, and he's just angry and, and hurt. Well, we find out his wife had died six months early, earlier. And um, he said in, in the movie, and it's in the book as well, he says, everything that was good was her. And so the movie is an about, I, I won't spoil it for you, but it's, it's, it's both funny and heartwarming and poignant. Uh, but it goes flashbacks. It tells about their love story. But in, in the book, there says this line. Because he was a person who had great tragedy in his life. Um, and his wife entering into his wife named Sonia changed everything. In the book, it says, you only need one ray of light to chase all the shadows away. I uh, one time was driving uh, from Pecos, Texas, to the Davis Mountains. The Davis Mountains is where McDonald Observatory is. Okay, and um, I thought I would take. You know, I, it, I was before GPS, so I thought I'd take a creative route. But that was a mistake. Uh, uh, it was beautiful, but it was a mistake. And I drove 45 miles. I actually watched it before I saw another human being. So I'm out in the desert going into Davis Mountains. At one point, though, I just turned off my headlights because the stars were so bright. You could see it was remarkable. full moon. matter of fact, part of it, they regulate light in that area because the McDonald Observatory, you can't have outside lights. kind of fascinating because they minimize it. But the sky, the stars were bright enough. And so this idea that... We have been put here, the text says, and let's look at it again in verses 12 through 14. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with each other. And if you have a complaint against each other, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I mean, to me, the power of this idea of one ray of light can drive the shadows away, is that by putting on this compassion and love of Christ, we can be light in this darkness. What if we would answer the anger of this age, the political hate, the sectarianism, the racism? What if we would answer that with the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ? What if we were as quick to forgive as we are to feel wronged what if that was the light we decided to shine in this world that's what Paul is telling this really small church these small group of believers in a hostile environment who are fighting both a battle if you would against all the secular forces of the late or of the uh, Roman Empire as well as different religious groups that are trying to steal from them the truth of the gospel So, what we are supposed to do, if you would, is to be instruments and vessels of compassion and love. We're to put on love. Okay. Maybe you can ask the question, every time we are beginning to act, the question is, how does this reflect the love of Christ? And how does this reflect the love of my neighbor? I, I I think that's what Paul is, is the answer, if you would. How do you live in a hostile world? Well, for Paul, you live out the implications of your baptism. In the book, A Man Called of Sonia, his wife, said that to love someone is like moving into a house. At first you fall in love in everything new. You wonder every morning that this is my own house as if you were afraid someone was suddenly going to take it away from you. But as the years go by, the facade worn, the wood cracks here and there, you start to love this house, not so much for all the ways it is perfect, and that for all the ways it is not. You become familiar with all its nooks and crannies, how to avoid that the key gets stuck in the lock if it's cold outside, which floorboards have given away so you can step on them, and exactly how to open the doors for them not to creak. That's it. All the little secrets that make it your home. I think the Christian life is much less about doing than being. Okay? Now, I'm sometimes careful to say this because there are a lot of Christians that don't seem to do anything, Okay, and they don't seem to be. But the reality of it is that the more we grow in Christ, the more we live out the implications that we are in Christ and Christ is in us, being a Christian is not so much doing first, but it's about being. It's about living into this life that we have. You know, it's about allowing Christ in us to be the hope of glory. It's about listening before speaking. It's about allowing there to be space for other people. Now, again, I think about our community dinners, right? Our community meals and, we, and they were started with the, impen, with the intention of being an evangelistic kind of tool, right? We try to get people from the community to come in, the idea that they will join the church. What? That hasn't really worked, right? It has, that, that hasn't worked. But what if when we do something like a community meal, or we you know, do the breakfast, or we go to Philadelphia to do the mission project, what if we were consciously aware that we're in the presence of Christ, That whatever we do to the least of these, we do unto Christ. What if we also were aware that the only presence of God they may have in their life is what you show, what you reflect? Years ago, there was a story was told where uh, young life works with uh, unchurched kids to bring them, you know, to give them here an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's really relationally based. At least that's how it was when I was on staff. Um, And so part of it, you just accept kids where they're at. One of the best quotes I ever heard, that we have to love kids like God loves kids. And God loves us regardless if we listen to him or not, right? God loves everybody. So whether or not you follow God or not, God loves you. That's often something religious people don't want to hear, that God loves you immensely, which is great, but he loves everybody out there the same, right? Because that's just the way God is. Anyway, they were starting this Young Life Club. I think it was in Colorado. But you weren't allowed, there was, it was not, you weren't able to be on the school property. And they lived about 30 minutes away. And they were trying to get this Young Life Club started in this school. So the only thing they could do for like a month, or actually I think they did for a couple months, they would just show up as kids were getting on the bus and just say hi. Okay, one of the most frustrating, and I've done things like that. So. They did that for I don't know a couple of months. I don't think anything came of it. A year later, uh, this leader she was at a camp or something, and this girl came up to her and said, "I want you to know that that I'm a Christian because of you." And the leader, I have I never saw this person before in my life. I couldn't remember who she was. And uh, you know the person says, "Well, that's great. I'm glad you're a Christian, but I'm sorry. I, I just don't remember you." And she goes, oh, you probably didn't remember me. I was one of those kids you said hi to. And I, and I thought, first of all, I thought, what weird. Are these people, like, are they are they, narcs? <laughs> are they undercover cops? Are they some kind of creepy people? But, you know, kept coming, and you, and you didn't want anything from me. You just seemed to care that I existed. So I, I asked people, well, I, I did some research. I found out, well, who are these people? And I found out you had an organization. Well, what kind of organization is this? And then... I figured if, if believing in Jesus makes you do this, I should find out more about Jesus. And, and she became a Christian. So the reality of it is, what did that young leader do? Not a whole lot, right? She just was a loving presence in the world. But that might be everything, Right? <laughs> We live in an age where people aren't listening, right? There's not a lot of listening going on out there. There's a lot of yelling, a lot of anger, not a lot of listening. It might be the most powerful thing we can do in this day and age is just to be in Christ and be open to be God's vessel however God chooses to use us in this world. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand again and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.